come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And good name again is Selena Ho. Stop it. Okay. What's your name? Oh, my name? Yes. You said to stop it, Selena. <laughs> my name is Stanley Fritz. All right. All right, guys. And we're back. And as I mentioned before we went on break, we're going to start the show off talking about the Bundy occupation, a.k.a. the white terrorist militia group, as a lot of people have been calling them. Later on in the show, we'll talk about the Flint water fiasco. And then we'll end off talking about Obama's executive actions on gun safety. So... What's been going on in Oregon? Um, so this man, his name is Amon Bundy. He has been leading an armed group of white militiamen known as, well, they named themselves the Citizens for Constitutional Freedom. If What happened, Stanley? Well, nothing else clapping. <laughs> well, no one can hear you. So if you're going to mumble in the mic, you might as well be heard. I think Alyssa said something about the Ku Klux Klan. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Stanley calls them, sometimes he... He references them as the KKK, right? So if that name Bundy sounds familiar, it's because back in 2014, Amon Bundy's father, Cliven Bundy, also led an armed standoff with the federal government. And he notoriously suggested that African-Americans were better off as slaves, right? So back when he led this armed um, protest um, in Nevada and he faced off with I mean you saw these federal agents putting guns in these the in these people's faces and they were still like back down shut up you can't you can't tell us what to do and I was just like no one got shot they didn't let off any fire and they didn't open fire and um pretty much the government backed down and let Clive and Bundy um continue to use federally owned land without and he owes like I think a million uh, a over million dollars over now. a million dollars in fees for for using this federally owned land. I mean yeah, they said they were going to fight him in court instead of I this can't trying to have this armed revolution that they wanted. Oh my god. OMG. And you know what? I don't like ISIS. Clive and Bu- good point. Clive Vanilla and ISIS? Bundy <laughs> That's why they call him the Vanilla ISIS. Mm-hmm. Clive and Bundy, um, he had so much support from Republicans and conservatives uh, up until he started calling like black people Negroes and saying that, you know, we were better off as slaves. But I mean, they were just like, yes, fight the government, use your arms, Second Amendment. And I'm just like, if any other group of protesters, especially those of color, were to do that, mm-hmm. conservatives would be up in arms themselves. And it just wouldn't happen. Um, so moving along on January 2nd, this is when his son, Amin Bundy sees the uh, uh, National Wildfire Refuge. This is a federally owned wildlife outpost in a remote remote part of Oregon. So the group, they took the building over um, and um, with a, a bunch of local ranchers. And they said they were doing this for two reasons. Right. One was because they believe that. Um, federal, they believe that the government should back down off of their own land, which they say is hurting local ranchers like themselves. And then the second reason was because they were protesting two men, Dwight Hammond and his son, Stephen Hammond, who were convicted of setting fires that spread to government land. Like these people have a lot of problem with the government and their land. And also like they got like a minor involved in setting the fires too, like a 14 year old kid. That was the other piece of it. 
I mean, it was crazy because, um, hold on, I have it right here. So so what happened? The father, he set a fire in 2001 that burned on a federally maintained land. And then the son was convicted for setting another fire in 2006, which he said um, was a backburn to prevent wildfire from spreading to his property. No- nonetheless, they were convicted and they served a year in prison. However, because of the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act that Congress passed, um, in 1996, um, that act actually mandated a minimum five-year sentence for the crime. Um, so that means they had to be sent back to prison to serve out the rest of their sentence. So they are serving another four years. Apparently, the Bundys and his group of militia don't agree. So they're, according to them, they have the Second Amendment rights to use their arms to take over a federal-owned building, federal-owned land, and to protest. I don't know how they think they'll win. I don't. I mean, there's absolutely no way that uh, federal authorities are going to let these two men out of prison. So, I mean, it's just crazy. And they also said, these militia, that they're willing to kill and be killed for for this purpose, right? For to to get these men out of prison and to tell the federal government back off our land. I mean, which isn't it, even their land. Right. No, no, you're you're absolutely right and it's just been um completely ridiculous. And I think that um we have been all watching this play out, especially if you're on social media, about, you know, how day after day they're holding these press conferences and they're getting all of this media. And I feel like the way they're even being covered is just very subdued. Um, I don't want to, you know, cut into your interruption, but I remember during Occupy, we had nothing but a whole bunch of smelly hippies at Zuccotti Park. I was one of them. And they put out a sound machine. Yeah, the it's ones called that, an LRAD. Yeah, which you're supposed to be using in freaking Iraq. They put it out there at Zakati Park to get out a whole bunch of hippies. And you remember after they um, cleared Zakati, we had one of the occupiers calling to the show, and he talked about how the cops were killing puppies to get them out of the park. No, I didn't hear about that. No, no, yeah. this is before your time, Melissa. This uh, is me, Selena. We did a show a couple, like, when we were back at the Westbury. But then you have a whole bunch of crazy nuts with guns, and people are like, hey, let's just let them stay there. Well, it's kind of like the comment that I made last week about how when you want to protest the government and can hold people accountable for police actions, then everybody's like, oh, you know, these protesters are causing X, Y, and Z, and people make up these ridiculous things like the Ferguson effect, uh, which is, you know, like false, and, you know, a whole bunch of other things. And, like, when people want to protest income inequality by going and you know sitting in in a park that's apparently a problem you have to get like 3,000 police officers in military gear with an LRAD machine to clear them out Uh, but apparently you know when you have a situation like this the government's like oh well we don't want to have another Ruby Ridge we don't want to have another Waco like we don't want to have another situation because that's just going to add fuel to the fire (laughs) pun intended right Um, that you know if we shoot it out with these guys then we basically uh give in to them in that all these other anti-government people are going to be like, oh, look, see, the government is being tyrannical and shooting at these people. And so, you know, that's exactly what we're saying the government's going to do. And so the government kind of doesn't want that. But um, I did want to tell you a little bit about kind of who owns this land and how it got that way. Just give you some background and some history about this because it's actually really interesting. Um, So there's actually been two Supreme Court rulings about this refuge, which is called the Maller, Maller, Maller Lake and Maller Wildlife Refuge. One of them comes in 1902 and the other one in 1935. And essentially what the Supreme Court finds is that the federal government has an incontrovertible claim to the refuge that dates back to the 1840s when Oregon was still a territory. Uh, So... 
Going even further back, the Paiute um, Native Americans yeah. or the Paiute Indians uh, lived in the Mallor Lake area for over 6,000 years. Wow. Um, they lived there before any settlers ever came and actually before any federal government ever came. So actually, if anybody wanted to lay claim to the land you know, and actually make a legitimate right. claim to the land, it would probably be the Native Americans. You want to cut in right there? You're forgetting there? about one citizen, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> that has nothing to do with The Book anything. of Mormon actually says he's from there. Sorry. Uh, oh, oh, so, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> the first time settlers ever came to this area, Mallor, was in the 19- 1870s. Uh, this was due to the Homestead Act. The Homestead Act allowed anyone who wanted to go west to move west and to claim up to 160 acres of land as long as nobody else had claimed it. And the idea was that the west wasn't settled at the time and the federal government wanted to promote people to head west and to lay claim to land. So um, this guy named Peter French, he settled, he built a cattle empire, um, but their other settlers started to come out and there became a dispute between this guy Peter French and between the settlers. Um, so in 1902, Peter French actually sued one of the settlers in order to get this settler off the land and the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled that his claim was invalid uh, because the federal government never gave him claim to the land. The reason was that the Homestead Act only um, applied to certain lands that laid above the water level and they found that based on where the land actually was that because it wasn't um you know above the water level it was within the water level that it was the federal government's land so following that six years later in 1908 uh teddy roosevelt uh, decided that he was going to declare all 82,000 acres that Peter French was holding as a naf- national wildlife refuge. Now, that doesn't make up the whole acreage of the refuge today because another person actually transferred some land uh, to make, you know, to the federal government later on. But um, actually, before that happened, uh, there was another case that went up to the Supreme Court in 1935 where the Supreme Court ruled that Oregon never acquired title to the land, that the government never transferred it. Um, what happened in that case was the federal government had sued Oregon uh, in order to kind of get a decision about um, who owns this Maller Refuge. And at the time, under the acts of Congress, ownership of any navigable waterways meant that it went to the state. So they had to determine was the Maller Refuge a navigable area with navigable waterways and all these people came to court and testified and what they essentially ruled was that because no boats had ever used the waters of the refuge for any commercial purpose or any other purpose that the waters were not navigable and therefore under the acts of Congress they did not belong to the territory of Oregon and so if they didn't belong to Oregon and they didn't belong to French and they didn't belong to any of the other settlers the only people or the only entity that the land could belong to is the federal government. And therefore, the federal government owned all 82,000 acres. As I said later on, the person who owned the land next to these 82,000 acres actually sold their land to the federal government. And that's how you get the full refuge that as it exists today. So that's your little history lesson about who owns the land and how it got that way. Right. Thank you for that, Alyssa, guys. And again, uh, we're talking about the Bundy armed occupation going on in Oregon now. If you guys want to let your voice be heard, the number is 212-650-6903. Thank you for that. So um, one of the things that I I guess has been most controversial is um, the hypocrisy of the protest. Right. When we think about how they are protesting the federal government, the fact that they own this land. And there was even one protester who said, 
I'm going to stand on this land. There's even a warrant out for him, right? <laughs> and he was like, I'm going he did this interview and he was like, I'm going to stand on this land and and there's nothing anyone can do about it. And if the FBI wants to try to arrest me, I'm not going to jail and I have my rifle right here. And I'm just like on national TV, he just suggested basically like uh, almost threatened the federal government with arms. Well, it's funny that you bring that up because, you know, if it turns out that they're actually committing a federal crime, um, you know, and, and I'm, I know there's been a, some talk of that, uh, that, you know, whether or not they're actually breaking any federal law. Yeah. Um, with having their guns or whatever. But if they actually were to get arrested for a federal crime and get convicted of it, then they would actually lose their Second Amendment right to bear arms as a convicted felon. So... In some ways, maybe this guy is thinking, and I don't, I'm not speaking for him. I think it's kind of lunatic, actually, but maybe he's thinking, like, rather than have the government label me as a felon because I've done this takeover, I'm going to, you know, I'm willing to die for that because I don't want to, you know, I'd rather die than go to jail, lose right. my right to bear arms. Yeah. Which, like, okay, fine. Then why are you out there in the first place committing a criminal act? Especially, I, and, you know, I know we're going to get into talking about race more later on in this segment, but it, like, it bothers me because these are the same people that were, like, on the internet going, but Mike Brown stole the cigars. So, of course, <laughs> that means that he deserved to get shot because he was a criminal, you know? So it's like, well, but you're a criminal too, right? What I, what I don't understand is I've, like, I've seen cops raid someone's apartment because of an unpaid um train like train ticket, I've seen cops kick down someone's door and drag them out of their apartment, and they come back a couple of days later and were like, "I didn't pay my train ticket, and that's what happened." And you're telling me they couldn't arrest these guys the first time when they had over a million dollars in debt over like a ranch land they were using. Right, and, we, and you know, some people have said I don't know the you know the kind of whether this really stands up or not, but some people have said, well, it's like there's a sort of this difference when you're talking about the federal government versus yeah. like state or local governments. So when you're dealing with issues like you bring up about somebody owing a ticket or this, that's like very local government. It's yeah. the local police department, you know, etc. Whereas when there's a standoff between the federal government mm -hmm. and people, it's like the federal government wants to be more cautious because what they found in situations like Waco and situations like Ruby Ridge is when the federal government actually did come in and people died because of the federal government deciding to disrupt these actions, um, then it actually fueled more of this anti-government sentiment. Yeah. And, and, and to add to that, people have also said, I'm not saying I agree with this, that, well, you know, it's not like they're going there shooting up, killing innocent people, like, for example, to compare it to San Bernardino, that mm -hmm. if, like, they walked into this refuge and started, like, firing on employees and killing innocent civilians and stuff, then the federal government would be able to say, yeah, we have a reason to step in now because, you know, you're firing and right. a mass shooting is, uh, you know, an active shooting situation in progress, whereas that's different and distinct from the fact that they're just standing there with guns. So right. if me and 15 of my gun-owning black friends went and decided to hold the state building hostage until they freed my man Pookie um, <laughs> for committing seven murders in 1998... And just did that. You're telling me that I could, ex I should expect no kind of force. Uh, no. I mean, it, it it definitely wouldn't play out like that. I mean, we've I don't seen think this it would play out like even that. in even in Ferguson, the cops like pulled up to the scene in military gear, right, with these big tanks. I mean, it was just 
horrible. And I, 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 and I think that, you know, when they did that, that also fueled this sort of us versus them sort of mentality. And to me, that's justified. But they didn't get that type of leverage on Ferguson and Baltimore. Or And, and I think that, you know, the way history continues to play out, we, we know that yeah. if Stanley and other black men were to do something like that, it would just, I mean, I, I would be scared for your life. To tell you the truth, uh, listen, Stanley. I agree. Like I said, I'm I, I don't uh, I'm just making right. the arguments that some that I'm hearing some yeah. of the people are saying, putting them out there so that we can digest them and basically call a spade a spade, right? right? Um, because I think you're right. Um, you know, but it, it, then uh, just to play devil's advocate to counter that mm-hmm. the uh, the idea about I mean, yeah, they're protesting over their friends going to jail, but also this lay of claim to land, right? So right. you have to add that into your hypothetical, Stanley, right? Yeah. You and your friends can't just be protesting Pookie. <sighs> you got to be protesting um, the fact that you think you own this land also. And make sure that you're, you know, a legal and registered gun owner, like Jackie said last week uh, on that segment from oh, The yeah. Daily Show. Just don't. Just yeah. don't. Right. I'm going to get a gun tomorrow, get registered for it real quick. I don't have any priors or anything. I should be good, right? Yeah. You you probably could, but then we'll see how that would well, play you out. Well, that's an interesting question that we can pose later on in the segment when we get into talking about race, which is, you know, if you have no convictions and you're not mentally unstable and you're able to get a firearm and you're a person of color, should you do it? And should you open carry to protest something in an open carry state? No, that that's a great way to end um, for this break. We're going to come on a break and then we'll talk about that right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. I'd like to read those good books. Throwback Sunday, I guess. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. We play Missy Elliott twice in one break. And I'm going to hit you with some new stuff in a second. But after this segment about people who got guns and government buildings and don't get in trouble. Right, and <laughs> we would all say and agree it's because they're white. So we're back on Let Your Voice Be Heard, and we're talking about the Bundy Armed Occupation, or what a lot of people on Twitter have been calling Vanilla ISIS, Yal Qaeda, and just and basically the the rise and a revolution of these white men with guns who seem to be able to get away with doing things that no one else in society could. So um, where we left off, we kept asking the question, what if they were black, right? And even what if they were Muslims? What what would happen? And I wanted to to take some time to talk about what actually did happen back in 1967. So there were Black Panthers who occupied the California State Capitol building back in uh, 1967 to stand up for their Second Amendment rights. They literally stormed into the building, because it was legal back then, to go in there with their guns in hand. And the way lawmakers reacted was they banned open carry gun laws in that state. And to this day, you can, until this day, there are no open carry gun laws. They so and I also want to mention that, that was Ronald Reagan under, right under Ronald Reagan's administration and I wanted to add that the NRA who in today's time protests any type of restriction that would make it safer for us to just live here in America they were actually in support of um, of they were actually in support of putting some type of regulation and putting some type of restrictions on guns, right? So a couple, you know, fast forward a couple decades 
And so today's time in the NRA is completely against it. But again, what happens when black people are armed and sort of show, you know, are feel empowered or even intimidating to a certain degree to, to, to white supremacy or white power. And this is what we have. Um, I understand we have a guest on the line. We have a very special caller. Her name is Miss Deborah, who we love, and she would like to let her voice be heard. How are you, Selena? I'm good. Oh, good. Listen, how, how is everyone? We're as well to be expected. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to go buy some guns and protest. Okay, I just want to get something clear. They don't own they don't own this land, right? No, they don't. Okay. The federal so, government owns it. Let's say, for instance, I was going up the river and I happened to see a really nice mansion that I like, that I always wanted. And I decided that, you know, there was no one in at the time. Maybe, you know, somebody was away. And I decided that I wanted to open that house and live there for a spell. And they showed up. They came back home from whatever trip they were taking. And I decided that I wanted to stay there. And I had arms and everything. And I felt like it was my right. They had not been there in a while. So what happened to me? Well, so it's an interesting question because there's a slight difference in that the wildlife refuge is federal national public property in that it's technically, in theory, open to the public for use and for enjoyment. Um, and so it's not trespassing, in theory, for people to go to the wildlife refuge, whereas if you go to somebody's personal house um, that's a private property, then that one would be trespassing. I mean, but so, I mean, that's really the difference in the example. Um, but I think that the point that you're trying to make is sort of the point that we're trying to get at, which is, you know, if anybody else went and took over some land that wasn't theirs, some property that wasn't theirs, held it, occupied it with guns, um, the police would probably show up and there would either be a standoff, these people would be removed, arrested, um, or if they started to shoot, potentially would be killed by law enforcement. But we don't see that happening. And we're asking the question why. And we're surmising that it's because these people are white. Right. So so the, the next question I have, and I know Stanley has a very strong opinion on this. Should we be characterizing this takeover as terrorism? Are these domestic terrorists? Well, yeah, why not? They call Black Lives Matter protesters terrorists. They pepper spray Black Lives Matter protesters all the time. When I was oh, when I was marching after the Eric Garner verdict, I had a cop say, go ahead, keep having fun. I'm going to bash your head in, you effing terrorist. Yes. He called you a terrorist yes. at a protest? Yes. Like, I, I mean, you have it goes further than that because you've actually had the NYPD, and this is a local example, set up the uh, what they're calling, I guess, their SRG or their strategic response group, yeah. and they say that it's part of their mission is to deal with terrorism, but the other part of their mission is to deal with protesters. I'm on social media surveillance. By the, no, seriously. All of a sudden, well, I could be exaggerating, but all of a sudden, I'm being followed by six different cops from six different precincts on Twitter. So and, and anytime I start talking about Black Black Lives Matter, they they favorite the tweets. Wow. Well, you you know what? You know, just to add on with another another example, it was just a few years ago where there was this huge controversy about how the NYPD were surveilling Muslim co- well, Muslim students as well as Muslim mosque in New Jersey and in New York City, and it was like we were treating these regular citizens as terrorists themselves as they went to work, as they went to worship, and as they went to school. They're still doing it. 
And they're still doing it. The controversy has died down, but it's still happening. But here you have, again, armed white men who have taken over buildings and said, hey, we could, we'll, we'll kill them. We'll be killed. And it's like, well, let's back down and hope that this can end peacefully. I don't get it. You know? If a genie came to me and said you had one wish, I would say bring me back as an attractive white man with slightly <laughs> jostled hair. My life would be perfect. No, no, it, it's true. It, it really is true. And I mean, you, you can't, it's it's evident right now. Right. No, and I, I think this is the biggest and most salient point about this whole thing, which is that, you know, people can say, oh, it's not about race, it's not about race, it's not about race, but uh, it is about race. Because I, I don't see a scenario in which uh, m- people who are Muslim engage in the same exact type of action and the federal government backs down and I don't see a similar scenario where a group of armed black militia men take over a government building like Stanley put out earlier as an example and the government backs down but actually another point that I wanted to make about that is that also sort of goes back to the government backing down the first time when yeah. Selena gave the introduction she talked about Clive and Bundy and the original thing and there's a lot to be said about that because the fact that the government let them get away with it essentially the first time uh, you know is to say that they were like, okay, well, we got away with it once. Nobody's coming after us, so we'll probably get away with it again. But to go back to the race issue for a second, uh, you know, I'm I'm curious if, Stanley, maybe you want to jump in on this opinion. It was something we talked about on the phone that when we spoke on Thursday night. And I said, um, and I was asking you, so I'll pose this question. Do you think that it would be a good idea for Black Lives Matter protesters who had the ability to get a firearm, no. that legally, to get firearms and to do these protests with firearms in states where it's legal to carry them. They would be slaughtered. In in um, St. Louis, when during the height of the Mike Brown protest, I, I met some of the protesters there, including um, DeRay. Anetta, Anetta was telling me they were in a church strategizing on the stoop, and the cops drove by and shot at them with rubber bullets. When they ran in the house, the cops broke into the church and said, we thought you guys were amassing weapons they were in there praying Mm. if they even smelled gunpowder on those protesters they'd be dead and the cops would say we thought our lives were in danger it's 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 ridiculous how dangerous it is to say black lives matter in places where open carry is the law right no stanley's absolutely right i mean it's 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 sad and it's also very sickening the fact that we have this huge double standard in this country. Again, it's 2016 and we've made so much progress, but we still haven't, right? Yeah, no, and actually to add to that, apparently the sheriff in this county in Oregon is now saying, well, if you guys leave, we'll give you like sort of a free pass, you know, like leave within a certain, like the next few hours or the next whatever it is and no charges will be filed against you. Could you imagine that scenario happening if uh, there was a bunch of black people that were like engaging in some type of illegal action, right? Um, and the sheriff showed up and said, oh, well, we'll give you guys like 12 hours. And if you guys are out of here in 12 hours, then like nobody's going to get arrested. Selena's shaking that her head is, in the studio. She's going, there's no way that, that would ever happen. Com- you know- no, no, you're absolutely right, uh, Alyssa. That's completely ridiculous. The fact that you have law enforcement almost pleading with them, asking them, guys, can you please leave? No charges. Well, act like it never mm-hmm. happened. Like, are you kidding me? Eric Garner gets killed over allegedly selling cigarettes and we don't even a lot of people have said he wasn't selling cigarettes Tamir Rice gets shot within a half a second of those officers getting out of the vehicle Walter Scott gets shot while he's running away from the police because he owes child support you know and then the police tried the guys tried to frame him by putting a taser down while his dead lifeless body was laying there on the on the ground Um, I mean I could go on and on and on and come up with several you know Freddie Gray gets killed on a 
a rough ride in the back of a van. These are all people that are presumably, you know, like, you know, you know, even if they were committing a crime, potentially committing a crime, a minor one. And yet you have armed white men taking over a wildlife refuge that refuse to leave, that have said they will have an armed insurrection of the government and not one police officer, not one person from law enforcement. Not, nobody, not one person is in there threatening their life threatening them or potentially saying that they're going to be shot if they don't move and nobody's moving in to arrest them. So to tell me that we don't have a double standard in this country when it comes to what you can get away with, depending on the color of your skin, is quite frankly a load of crap. It really is. And on that note, we have a call on the line who would like to let their voice be heard. We have William on the line. William, let your voice be heard. Yes, this is William. I would like to, to the global family to know that we're listening to, we're listening to some real rebels right now. And it's really encouraging to me to hear some real rebels that's really what America really stands for. You know, to be patriotic is something so unpatriotic is ridiculous. But I'm hearing what this country is really built on, you know, and to hear from some some unsung people, un, unnamed, un, you know, on our on air, it's really encouraging. And um I'm sorry to hear that you're going through such so much stuff, um, Stanley, as far as getting abused by these here so-called authority, man. You know, so this is why Occupy Wall Street rebels. You know, I you know I, I supported them, and I, I'm so surprised that in our communities, I'm seeing less and less of black people who seem to be the target of this. Really, having I'm talking about in the local areas on the job places. It's like these are the ones that people are speaking up for, and these are the ones that's really, um, you know, is like, you know, they, I got my job, so you know everything's <laughs> fine, and I get more more arguments kind of scenarios from you know the black tough guys that want to be tough, but they're not tough towards no police. They want to fight each other and beat each other. So I'm kind of like I'm just encouraged to hear people that's taking the risk of speaking on the air about some of this stuff. Are you? Thank, thank you so much for that, William. I do want to say that, you know, I've gone through a couple of things, but it's nothing compared to the real activists who are out there every single day protesting, standing up to the police, holding sit-ins, strategizing, organizing. I got a couple of followers. People call me the N-word a couple of times, but I can go home. I don't have to worry about things like some of these, you know, um, Muslim students who are being followed by the cops. Um, Selena and Alyssa and I, we speak up. People may look at us funny, but we don't go through it. But we, do really, we really do appreciate the props for that. Yeah, we do. Alyssa, did you want to add no, on? Absolutely. Yeah, no, what I actually wanted to actually add to this is this this talk about Occupy. As you pointed out, Occupy was very organized. In fact, Occupy was probably way more organized than these guys were. So I think the last part of this conversation is sort of the lightest part, which is, you know, these guys are so unorganized that they can't even figure out how to get enough food up there right. to the point where now they're apparently begging for snacks and the, the killer, the catch is... They're asking people to send these snacks through the federal post office. The federal government. Aren't they afraid that Obama will put anthrax in them? Like, what is... No, well, it's just the hypocrisy of them right, saying we hate the federal government, we're anti-federal government, but please right. send us snacks in the mail because we're not nearly as Occupy, uh, as organized as anybody from the Occupy movement. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so, um, but send them through the federal mail, yep. even though we hate the federal yeah. government. You, you know what's <laughs> awesome about Occupy? They fed everyone. Yep. Not right. people they in the park. You could, if you were there and you were hungry and they were having lunch, you could eat. 
Like the homeless people yeah. and everyone who happens to be there. Yep. I mean, it's just, there should be some type, I wish we could come up with some type of law or something. Like if you were engaging in criminal activity, you cannot still utilize some type of, some some of these services. Like I, I wish we could, but. They do have those laws, but it only applies to people of color. <laughs> I, I guess. prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're here, you can't use a lot of these services. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, Thank you for that. No, I mean, guys. This is terrible, and, you know, unfortunately, we have to wrap up this conversation, but this is still going to go on. We don't know how long, again, the FBI, federal agents are waiting for them to just, like, wear it just to basically get tired and eventually just um, concede in a, a peaceful manner, but that might not happen. Depends on how determined they are to take back, well, not even take back, but to take over this federally owned land. Um, you know, final thoughts and comments from you guys. Where do you see this going from now? And, you know, what's the lesson to be learned here? Well, I'm not going to say what I really think the lesson is because I don't want to seem bitter. But I will say this. Nothing's going to happen. These ranchers will be laughed at and they'll leave eventually. And all the story will just, like, lose interest to many people and nothing will happen to them. Maybe they'll get a couple of slaps on the wrist. But nothing is going to happen because the federal government is not going to engage. And if they did, they'd say it's because the black guy hates white people. And Barack Obama, the black guy. Um... I'm just very pessimistic at this point about a lot of things in relation to race relations and just the hypocrisy. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I, I have to agree with that. I actually think that the federal government's not going to back down unless somebody there starts shooting at federal agents. I don't think that the government's actually going to do anything. I have a feeling at some point these guys will probably take the safe passage out. I don't know when. I could be wrong because apparently now there's another militia group that showed up and now they're potentially getting in a standoff with this militia group. So, you know, you want to have optimism towards the Stanley. Maybe these two militiamen groups will shoot at each other and uh, they're... <laughs> We can't. I'm not wishing that on anyone. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm just kidding. I'm just. My point is, <laughs> my, my point is this, which is, you know, there's a, a, an immense amount of hypocrisy when something like this happens, not once but twice, and we all know damn well that if this was somebody of other color this would not be going down the way it's going down so uh you know as disheartening as it is though um you know i think the biggest lesson to be learned to answer the second is that if the government doesn't do something the first time just like they didn't the first time they took over the land yeah. uh then and they said we're going to fight you in court then they're just going to come back and they're going to keep doing it so at some point if you know even if the government's not going to step in and start shooting at people people yeah. have to be prosecuted for the laws that they have broken otherwise nobody is going to get the uh you know the message that this is not something that they can continue to do yeah. it's just frustrating that i can i was in best in her yes yesterday and i was walking down the street and people were visibly afraid of me mm. i was wearing my new york mets hoodie and sweatpants not the tight ones the baggy ones and I can't even walk down the street without having to make myself look f- like the friendly Negro because people have all these preconceived notions about African-Americans. But these guys can go into a building with guns and threaten to kill federal agents and just be chilling. No, you're absolutely right. And I think that what the Bundy family has done is set such a dangerous precedent. Right. We've seen what happened in 2014. And now his own son is basically doing the same thing. And, you know, even invoking their religion and their faith and saying we're doing this uh, by God. We have been inspired by God to take this action. And I think that it's going to continue to happen. And by federal agents being so passionate and passive aggressive and just saying we just hope this comes to a peaceful end what's going to this is going to keep happening because they you know they won the last standoff right in 2014 and and if they are able to walk up that land with no pro, with with no prosecution with no indictment with no type of charges against them then they basically would have won again and, and even if it's just getting the word out even if it is just you know raising awareness or or 
getting their agenda out in some way that they they are winning, whereas everyone else, every other group of people who happen to be of color, who happen to be of a different type of faith, who happen to be, you know, who just don't have white privilege and that type of leverage in our society have to continue to suffer and it's just i mean it's just really sad and i think that we'll continue to watch this play out but you know thank god for us thank god for the the fact that we can let our voices be heard and the twitter community and the people who haven't been afraid to say that you know this is terrorism let's call it like it is and let's make sure that our media is also depicting this as it is and telling uh, telling the story as it is so on that note we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we'll be talking about some of the biggest news stories of the week during the news roundup breathe girl breathe yeah running through the six with my walls 